Well, I have a sneaking suspicion um, that when we get to heaven, some of the things that we thought, you know, were sort of grand and transformational that we did will be seen to have amounted not to much. And some of the things that we thought were insignificant, small things that maybe we didn't even remember doing, small little acts of faithfulness, will end up being the ones that had the most impact on the world around us. A few stories about this. Um, I remember when I was a student preacher going down to Decatur, Illinois, and uh, was preaching a sermon, and I had my manuscript, and I was, I was basically reading from the manuscript, as my professor told me to do, and I was reading a particular list about some of the things that people may have been suffering from. And in the midst of the list, these words that were not in my manuscript popped out. I simply said, or if you've lost a job. And that was nowhere in my mind that I could remember. But after I finished preaching and the service was over, this man walked up to me with tears in his eyes. And he said, I lost my job yesterday. And your words struck home with me. When we were down in Costa Rica, we ended up having an extra entrance to the hot springs, which is near La Fortuna, um, apparently the world's largest hot springs. Amazing place. We were staying at this hostel that had just opened four months earlier, and this wonderful uh, Christian couple that we were getting to know. And uh, my wife, Jody thought, well, we've got this extra pass. Let's offer it to the, the woman who has opened this hostel. And uh, she gladly accepted it. She said, you know, it's funny. My husband prayed last night. It's been a hard process of opening this hostel. And she was praying that I might get some rest. And then the next day, you offered me this uh, pass to go to the hot springs for the whole day. So we spent a whole day with her. It was wonderful. Um, another friend of mine recently said, um, uh, told me the story of how he was at a gas station. He felt a prompting of the Holy Spirit to place $5 and a note that said, God, love you. God loves you on somebody's car. And um, he, uh, he did it, and then he went inside, and the person came inside and found him and said, I can't believe you just did that. I literally just prayed. I was so frustrated, and I just prayed, God, if you're out there, give me a sign. And then I walked to my car, and there's a, this note that said, God loves you, that you had just left there. And then they started up a conversation and had a wonderful time together. Small things. In fact, some of those might even seem dramatic to you. Promptings of the Holy Spirit. What about simple acts of faithfulness that God can use to bring about change in the world? This idea of small things is the premise of this series, and it's one of the themes of the book of Zechariah. Uh, the Lord is encouraging us to lean into the small acts of faithfulness that carry um, them, you know, to carry them out. Uh, not, not because we can always see how they're going to be um, used in the world, but because uh, God can, can use them as material. Just simple acts of faithfulness. That, that faithfulness is good because it's faithfulness. Not because even we can see what it leads to. God can do great things and often greater things than we imagine. 
And in some ways, it seems like right now, all we can do is small things, right? You get that sense? We're constrained, we're limited, we're held back, we're restricted. I came back from our trip away and proceeded to spend, I think it was 26 hours in 24 hours on Zoom. That's what it felt like, at least. And, uh, you know, you're just constricted to this little screen and, you know, talking to people, you can't, they're two-dimensional. It just feels like we're limited. But God is not constrained. That's the reminder for us this morning. Pandemics are subject to him and not vice versa. So Zechariah is such a remarkable book. A group of us met on Wednesday uh, to dream about the different ways that we can uh, bring, help bring this book to life over the course of the next months. And I'm just so excited. I, was, I came out of that meeting incredibly energized. Um, we're we're, we're going to do a bunch of creative things to uh, kind of help not only just speak about this text, but make it really come to life in our lives. And I'm just reminded, uh, again, that the Bible is... It's truly a world of wonder. Um, whatever book you open up to, wherever you, you research, I, I've talked to a number of people and said, whoa, I've never heard a sermon series on Zechariah before. Or I've tried to read, somebody was telling me just yesterday, somebody who knows the Bible backwards and forwards said, I was reading Zechariah recently and I couldn't make heads or tails of it. So this is going to be an exciting, mysterious journey for us. I mean, I guess Zechariah is sort of in the category of the book of Revelation, which we have tackled in the past. I love these kinds of books because there's so much richness in all of the symbols and so many connections. And really, it truly is a world of wonder. So I hope you'll get excited about the process of studying this book. And maybe throughout the course of it, you'll be able to kind of mark it off look, I understand the book of Zechariah now. I understand where it's going, what it's about, and most importantly, what God wants to say to me about my life. I'm reminded, Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And that's true regarding the book of Zechariah and every single book in the Bible. We have a lifetime to learn and understand, to kind of dive into this endless treasure trove and keep pulling out the beautiful and wonderful and rich things that God has for us that show us his manifold wisdom, right, in all of its diversity. And at the heart of Zechariah is this verse that our, from which our title comes. Um, Zechariah 4.10 says, For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice. Whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice. I want you to take that on board with you. Uh, maybe memorize that little verse as we step into this journey together in the book of Zechariah. And maybe you've despised the day of small things. Maybe it seems like every day is a day of small things these days. And guess what? You know, God is so great and so powerful that he specializes even in working in the small things. So that's the journey that we're on together. That's what we're excited to explore together. Today we begin with a simple invitation to spiritual reformation, to spiritual renewal. It's an invitation to return to God. That's that Hebrew word we just sung about, shuv, to return to God. And I'm just thinking, I've been praying into this this week, that maybe some of us really need this call from the book of Zechariah today. We need to be called back to the Lord because this has been a season of deconstruction, distraction, chaos, 
change. Sometimes I look around, I just go, I don't even know what the, I mean, yesterday I was going to go on a bike ride and now I got to start looking because there's a tsunami coming, right? Uh, and so I, I never thought about being washed off my bike path, you know, by a tsunami. But I mean, there's just one thing after the other. It's kind of a symbol. That tsunami was a symbol of the waves we've been experiencing. And so we feel disconnected. And in the midst of it, sometimes we can close up and turn away from the Lord. And Jesus is calling you this morning. He's saying, return to me. Return to me. You're going to see as we go through this passage, there's some very compelling reasons to return to the Lord. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me just do this in the proper order. Um, To return to the Lord is a great way to start the book. Uh, It's a great way to start the new year. We're still kind of in that new year phase. So maybe you need to return to the Lord. And it's today's small thing. Every sermon throughout the course of this series, we're going to try and really be clear about what is today's small thing. And today, the small thing is return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. We've got three moves. We're going to look at the background of Zechariah, since this is the first sermon in this series. We're going to talk about the invitation to return, which comes from our first passage that we're looking at. And then we'll end with some practical tips for returning to the Lord that come out of this passage. All right, so let's begin. The background of the book of Zechariah. Let me remind you of the sweeping story of the Old Testament. Of course, it starts with the fall of Adam and Eve. And we think maybe perhaps God is is just going to let it go and be done. He would have every right to be done with us. But no, he calls Abraham. And he gives a promise to Abraham. And that begins the process of redemption. And the community of Abraham grows and becomes full and they end up in Egypt enslaved and Egypt ends up being sort of a place of incubation for the for the people of God. They grow to maybe a million or more, but they're enslaved and they get broken out of that slavery. We call that the Exodus and they come into their own territory eventually and God gives them the commands and they're to form this ideal community, which is to to be a kingdom of priests and to be calling the world back to the ways of God. But they find, just like is the case with all of us, that sin proves to be too great a barrier to them living out the commandments of God and community and manifesting that beautiful and perfect and wonderful community. And God sends the prophets and calls them back to himself over and over and over again. He says, come back and live in the way that I've, I've called you to live, but sin is just too big of a barrier. And so finally, he sends them into exile to seek to get their attention. And for a number of years, 70 years, they're in exile. And then towards the end of the Old Testament, they come back. God brings them back to Israel, to the land, to the promised land, ultimately to Jerusalem, to the city, which has the temple at the center. And we call that time, that time frame when they come back from exile, the post-exilic season, the post-exile season. And there's five books in the Old Testament that directly address this post 
exile season. Two of them are historical books, Ezra and Nehemiah. They tell the story of Israel coming back into the land. And then Haggai and Zechariah, and then a little bit later, Malachi, are the three prophetic books that speak into this season. And I just want to encourage you, as we go through the book of Zechariah, you might also consider reading those historical books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Maybe uh, read Haggai. I know Pastor Paul preached through part of it recently. Um, but Haggai and Zechariah are very close together in their prophecy. And then also the book of Malachi. And these are going to, you're going to see references, cross-references in these five books. And it's going to help fill out your understanding of what's actually taking place. But let me, let me begin to um, uh, share with you what's actually happening by asking a simple question. Why did Haggai and Zechariah come on the scene when they did to preach to the people? So, so they come back into the land um, and, the, and, the, and things ought to be going well, but they're not. That's when God sends a preacher. When there's need, when people need to be called to something greater, he sends Haggai and Zechariah to call them to something greater. And what is the need? Why do they need to be called? Well, the story is that, that the people of Israel returned from the exile. They, they, shoot, they returned, shuv, that's that word. They returned to the land in 536 BC. And there was great joy. We read about it in Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. They had been exiled and, and, and abandoned, they felt. And now they were back in the land and they were so happy. Then our mouth was filled with laughter in our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. So that was the emotional tenor of their return from the exile. But fast forward about 20 years, and they, they, they still hadn't really returned, I would say, to the Lord. Which is evidenced by the fact that they hadn't yet rebuilt the temple in the center of Jerusalem. And that's why Haggai and Zechariah are called upon to preach to the people, to call them not merely to return to the land, but to return to the Lord, which would have been manifest in the rebuilding of the temple. Now, remember, temple doesn't mean a lot to us. And, and, and when we think about the temple, um, it, sometimes it just sort of goes over our heads. But the temple was really everything to the Israelite of that day. The temple was where the presence of God was manifest in the Old Testament. The presence of God was most manifest in the Holy of Holies in the center of the temple. The only reason the land mattered was because the temple was in it. The only reason that the, the grand city of Jerusalem mattered was because the temple was in it. And the only reason the temple mattered is because God was present in the Holy of Holies of the temple. Only The only reason that any of it mattered was because God was there. So it was huge in that moment to consider that the temple had not yet been rebuilt. Now they'd been prevented from building the temple at first by the, the governors and the, and the people of the, the communities around them. But that had settled into a kind of a malaise of their own. They were, in a, they were in a funk. And so Haggai and Zechariah, the prophets, were called upon by God to come and preach 
the people into action. As one of my professors wrote, the Israelites during this period were disheartened, apathetic, and depressed. I'll just pause there for a second. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Disheartened, apathetic, and depressed. If you're reading the news or you're just talking to people, you're hearing that that depression and apathy and being disheartened, these are part of the climate, the emotional tenor of our world right now. Um, Counselors are being overrun. Um, the, 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 health, the mental health um, units in our hospitals are, can't keep up because people are in this malaise. They're in this state. And so this is why uh, this book is so powerful for us right now. To call us out of our funk. To call us into life and action. So God sent first Haggai and then two months later he sends Zechariah to sort of shoo them out. To, to, to get them going again so that the work could continue. They could be going in the right direction. And when the temple was finally completed five years later, and we even know the date, this is crazy, March 12th, 515 BC. So five years later, after they started this process of, of preaching and calling the people, um, Ezra says that, that it was completed. And Ezra the historian says that the work was done through the prophesying of Haggai and Zechariah. Isn't that cool? That's really good for people like me who spend a lot of time preaching. Sometimes you feel like, especially when you're sitting in a room with only a camera, that, you know, it doesn't do anything. But I have to believe, I have to trust that the words of this book give life. They give life. And the words of Zechariah are going to give life to you and to me in this coming season as we allow God to open them up, as we open our hearts and let God bring us to them. So emotionally, we ought to bring to our study of Zechariah a sense of expectancy for what God will do. To put it this way, what temple is God going to build among us individually and collectively through the day of small things? How do we need the presence of God in our lives in this moment? That's the question you want to be asking as we approach the book of Zechariah. And how do we go about seeking it? Well, the journey begins with verse 1. And the journey begins with returning to the Lord. So if you have your Bible, and I know I'm already partway through, so I'm I'm aware of time. Don't worry. Uh, But... Open your Bible to Zechariah 1, 1, and I want to read today's passage, make a few reflections, and then give you some tips on how to return to the Lord that come from this passage. So Zechariah 1, 1, in the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edo, saying, the Lord was very angry with your fathers, therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, 
did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so he has dealt with us. Israel is stuck. Israel is stuck. Zechariah invites them to begin the process of getting unstuck by returning to the Lord. And I just want to say that's where it all begins or that's where it all ends. Returning to the Lord. The presence of God is where it all begins or where it all ends. If you return to the Lord, you're good. If you don't, you're not. Despite what it looks like. Despite the circumstances. It all has to do with God's presence in your life. God's presence is everything. God's presence in your life is the central message of the Bible. That's what he's leading us to. So that in the book of Revelation, the place, the way we define heaven is that that's the place where God is most manifest. And the way we define hell is the place where God is least manifest, where God is furthest. God's presence is at the core of the entire story of the scripture. God's presence is everything. This is why their failure to build the temple was so significant because it marked an unwillingness to pursue the presence of God. It was the physical manifestation of their failure to return to God. So to translate that into today's spiritual realities, they had forgotten to crack open their Bibles, right? They had stopped praying. They had stopped looking for the movement of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They were neglecting the gathering together with the brothers and sisters, to put it in New Testament language. Haggai calls them out uh, for just caring about taking care of themselves, building their own houses, sort of a, a, a let me just make sure I've got mine attitude. And isn't it easy to slip into that right now when it seems like we're, we're fighting for existence left, right, and center? And we want to just make sure, you know, that we take control and cover what we need without thinking about, you know, what God might want to do with our lives or without thinking about what others need. It's really easy to slip into that mindset right now. And yet, in the book of Haggai, Haggai points us out. He says, look, because you haven't returned to the Lord, because you haven't come and made my presence the key, because you haven't built the temple, all these efforts that you're going after are fruitless. And that's a spiritual dynamic that we often experience too. We can run this way and that way and try to accomplish every, all kinds of things. And we wonder, why, why isn't it bearing any fruit? Because we've neglected to keep the Lord at the center of our lives. We've forgotten to return to the Lord. And then, of course, uh, there's this gospel twist, which is so beautiful, that comes in Zechariah. And Zechariah, his approach is maybe a little bit less critical than, than Haggai's and more inspirational. 
Uh, so as we go through this, this is a wonderful thing. Zechariah is, he's summoning, he's beckoning, he's calling, he's inspiring, he's, he's celebrating, as, as Pastor Paul was saying in our meeting, he's celebrating God's victorious arrival on the scene and, and what God has for us. So I love this about the book of Zechariah. But um, of course, there's this gospel twist in the verses that we read. He says, not only return to me, says the Lord of hosts, that's not where it ends. And I will return to you, said the Lord of hosts. God is just standing there waiting for us to return, and he will return. I, I had this experience this morning. I got up, and, and there opened my open Bible on the nightstand, and I was feeling a little out of sorts. And there it was open to Psalm 20. This is my new thing these days. Is I just leave my Bible on the nightstand open and then try to read when I get up and right before I go to bed. Just, just enough till I get something. And I was like, I don't want to read the Bible right now. I'm trying to get the, shake the cobwebs out. But I kind of pushed through and lifted it up and turned the light on. And there was a Psalm 20, which gave me what I needed to even come through the morning to this point today. I returned to the Lord just this morning. And the Lord, he shows me that he's already two steps ahead, waiting there to meet me. So many times that's the case. That's the beautiful gospel twist. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts. I will return to you. Makes me think of the, some of the other great verses uh, in the Bible. Uh, we, we read it this morning. Um, Alessia read it. James 4, 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's a promise. Right? So if you're in a funk, if you're far from God, Hear the promise, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Or I love this one. This is the passage for all birders. Second Chronicles 16, I know we got a lot of birders. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. Just get that picture. The eyes of the Lord are roaming. They're waiting for you to return. God is waiting for you to return, to pursue his presence in your life. If you're disheartened, apathetic, depressed, today you're being invited to return to the Lord. Actually, whatever your state of mind is. And this is the case for me oftentimes is it's worst when I'm at my supposedly best because then I don't think I need the Lord anymore. So, so maybe you need to return today because you're in that moment of apathy and, and, and distress and darkness. Maybe you need to return today because everything's going well and you're at the most dangerous point of forgetting the Lord. Right? Doesn't matter. It's always spiritual renewal, spiritual transformation. You know, one of our core values as a church is transformation. Why? Because we really believe that the work of being transformed into the likeness of Christ is ongoing and regular part of our spiritual lives. It shouldn't be this once in a decade kind of thing. It could be weekly, monthly, daily, hourly, the work of spiritual renewal. And that's what Zechariah is inviting us into. We're all in need, every single one of us, of spiritual renewal every Day. As one of my mentors used to say, if you can't think of 21 different ways that you desperately need the Lord right now, then you're probably heading towards trouble. 
We're all in need of spiritual renewal. And this is the invitation that Zechariah makes for us. And so how do we return? How do we turn to the Lord? A few tips, some practical tips on returning to the Lord. I just got three principles here that come out of this text. Proximity to God is the goal of life. That's why the temple is so significant. And that's why no matter where you were in Israel, you went up to Jerusalem because that's where God was. That's where God was. And that's true for us as well. We go up. To be called up is to be called into the presence of God. Paul talks about being called into the third heaven. This passage comes back to me. The, the, the inspiring thing in life, what gives us energy and strength, is to be filled with a vision of who God is. That's what drives us forward. That's what carries us forward when it's really tough and hard and difficult. And that's how Paul, who could endure the incredible things that he endured, because he'd seen, he'd been up to the third heaven. He'd been in the presence of God, and he knew how awesome and powerful and wonderful God is. And the invitation is for us as well to enter into the process of spiritual renewal. Of course, it begins with faith in the atoning work of Christ. So we're New Testament people. We have a lot more information than they had in the time of Zechariah. And so the process of renewal always goes back to the atoning work of Christ. Why? Because it's the sin. Remember, just like for the Old Testament, it's sin that separates us from God. So if, if the goal is presence, the problem is sin, and Jesus Christ addressed the problem of sin when he went to the cross and died an atoning sacrifice for sin. That's why we talk about it incessantly because this is critical core. It's the center of what makes possible for us to even hope and have a dream of being in the presence of God is the, the work of Christ on the cross. And so if you haven't come to Jesus yet, that's your first step in the, in the work of spiritual reformation for your personal spiritual renewal is to come to Jesus Christ to place your trust in his atoning work that you might be forgiven for sin and thus now able to be reconciled to God, to be in the presence of God. That's where it all starts. And we go back to that over and over again. And to repent, the same word, to return, to repent, it's often translated variously, is to, is to acknowledge what we've done that's wrong, to turn away from it and turn towards God. And so the invitation to proximity is an invitation to repentance, first and foremost. But it's not only that, it's, it's also an invitation to, to move towards God in the ways that we can move towards God with the means that he has given us. And we talk about this oftentimes, we, we think about the early church and they fellowship together in the church. Keep on going to your home group, keep on coming and worshiping no matter what happens fellowship together. They talked about the teaching of the apostles, which was the scripture. What we now have is the scripture. They talked about the prayers. They talked about worship. So these are the means that we have to draw near to God. And that's what we're being invited to do on a regular basis is to draw near to God. One of the themes that came out of my sabbatical in 2018 was this idea of the proximity of God in my life. I, I believe that it is impossible to spend too much time with the Lord. 
It's impossible. It's impossible to spend too much time to try to get too close to the Lord. Um, That time you spend with the Lord will always pay dividends. The busier I am, the more time I need with the Lord. And that's not just me saying, if you look at some of the great saints that have gone before us, what they learned later on in life is they wish they'd spent more time with the Lord. Exclusively in, in, in pursuit of the Lord. That the busier they got, you know, what was it? Luther said I had to, he had to pray three hours a day because he was so busy. Right? So, the more time we spend, it will pay dividends. And this, is, this shift in thinking has resulted in a radical shift in my life schedule. And look, my, my past is not your future. So I'm not trying to say this, that you should be doing this, right? We're all different personalities. We have different stories. And so that's okay. We got to figure out a way. But for me, this is what it looked like. Is that I've had to shift, you know, my bedtime. I go to bed at 9 o'clock now. In fact, this week, I mean, my, my family's still in Costa Rica. I'm going to bed at 8.30 right it's terrible I'm going to bed before they are and they're two hours later or earlier right so um but why do I do that and what's the cost well I miss I lose a few tv shows in my life and otherwise unproductive things that I would have been doing during that time and what I gain is a couple of hours to spend with Jesus in the morning and that pays dividends that's everything Again, my history is not your future. I don't know what it looks like for you to make this shift, but proximity to God is the goal of life, and he's inviting you to draw near. And as you do, he will draw near to you, and it will be beautiful, and you will be so grateful. All right, I gotta go quick. Don't fight the word of God. This is one of the themes that come out of this t- comes out of this text where it says, don't be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds, but they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Like post-exilic Israel, we spend too much of our lives oftentimes fighting against the word of God. Don't you? I do. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to submit oftentimes. And what am I doing? Everything else is going to fall away, the Bible says, but the word of God will stand forever. Why wouldn't I want to align myself with the word of God? I don't know. It's completely illogical. So God's inviting us. Look, be rational. Align your life with the word of God because the word stands forever. Everything else will wash away. Haggai calls them out for this. He says, you look for much and behold, it came to little. Why did it become to little? Why did it come to little? Because you weren't aligning yourself with the Lord. So we can be striving and straining and struggling and trying and doing all kinds of things to accomplish much, but without the Lord, it oftentimes results to very little. So there's a shrewd approach. This is the shrewd, logical, even from a personal standpoint, wise way to approach life is to align yourself with the word of God. Because ultimately, God knows what's best for you, which leads to the last point. Trust that God has the best for you. Sometimes we don't return to God. We don't draw near to God. We shy away from God or we take matters into our own hands because we secretly don't trust that what God has for us is the best for us, right? Because at some point, you know, we asked the Lord to do something. And what happened was different than what we wanted. And we waited for a little while. 
but we didn't wait long enough. And we began to take matters in our own hands because we didn't trust God because he wasn't doing it the way that we wanted him to do it, right? And at the core of what Zechariah is calling them to is, look, stop trusting in yourself. Trust the Lord. He's not going to do it the way you want, probably, but he's going to do it the way that's ultimately best for you. So come back. Return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. God, would you help us to return to you individually and collectively? We want to draw near. Thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ who makes it possible for us to even have a hope of coming near to you. We love you and we seek you and we want you. Meet us as we return. Return to us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.